Welcome back, everyone, to Life and Lit. This is episode 79, and we are sadly out of spooky season. I really enjoyed every single episode last month, but we are kicking off a new month with a totally different vibe. We are kicking off November with a new author, but a subject we both dearly love. So this week, we are discussing Horse by Geraldine Brooks. Before we dive in, I'm Paige. And I'm Sydney. And this is Life and Lit. I just want to say that I loved this book. Me too. I was pleasantly surprised by how much I loved it. I, I wasn't sure about it. When you suggested it, it was like, okay. I was like, it's either going to be really good or it's going to be really dry. I could tell you were a little hesitant. And (laughs) this, I saw this book like on a list somewhere. And then I was talking to my friend Sarah about it. Shout out Sarah. She's a friend of the pod. And she read it and said it was really good. And she's also a horse girl. So I was like, okay, Sarah says it's good. We'll try it. And I asked her like, is it worth buying or should I just get it at the library? Because honestly, I was being too lazy to drive to my library <laughs> to pick it up. <laughs> and she's like, oh, I don't know. Probably just get it free if you can. Well, I really liked it. Like, I want to go buy it now. That's how yeah. much I liked it. I would definitely keep a copy on my shelf. And first of all, like the cover, I think is beautiful. Like, it's yes. very unique. I feel like a lot of books these days are kind of falling into the same trend with their cover art. So I really enjoyed this one, and I think even, like, I want to suggest it to my mom. I think she would really like it. But, yes, I was a little hesitant just because I've never read any of her books, but she's won a ton of prizes uh, Mm -hmm. for her writing. So I was like, all right, we're in good hands. But also, with the subject matter, could have been a little dry, but it was not at all. Like, I flew through this book as much as you can with, because it is, like, a dense subject. And it covers a lot of ground. I wouldn't say it's our favorite phrase, a quick afternoon read, because it is so dense, just that it's great subject matter and the writing is beautiful. Like, it's very descriptive and eloquent and, like, I would consider this, like, prose, like, fancy writing. So it just takes longer to get through than, like, a rom-com type book. Exactly. I mean, I still read it in like under a week, having some days like where I didn't have time to read. Yeah. And I definitely want to recommend this to like all the horse people in my life. Like I've already thought about different people that I'm like, you need to read this book. If you love horses, you need to read this book because it is like an ode to the animal overarching. It is. So, and it's beautiful. It's beautifully done. It like, I was reading it last night, getting the warm fuzzies. I'm like, I just want to go out and see my horse. He's in my backyard. I can see him anytime I want. But I'm like, I just want to go be out there with him. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's how I felt, too. Um, you know, we do have thoroughbreds. So I was mm-hmm. looking. I was like, I need to look up Knight's lineage and see yes. if he has Lexington. First, because, you know, I feel like Lexington sired a lot of the mm-hmm. thoroughbred line but also because and I don't know if you caught like onto this while you were reading 
his dental disease. <laughs> I did. I literally is exactly the dental you. disease that my horse has, which was kind of an unwelcome parallel to real life. Um, I... But it was just like, oh. Yeah, so I just finished it today, and when I was reading that part, I was like, um, this sounds like what Paige is having problems with, and I was like, I bet she didn't like that. (laughs) I did not like it, because when I read, which we're getting ahead of ourselves, but that's what we do. If you're new here, that's what we do. Um, But when I read the portion, like, where the infection got to, like, the eye socket and, like, the Mm -hmm. lacrimal bone, I was like, wait a second, is that what the vet meant? by a bone infection because they told me that could be a possibility and I was Ugh. like no 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 that's not what I was kind of picturing here no that's um, not how we want that story to go exactly so I need to call Dr. Parente and recommend first that he reads this book and two to make sure <laughs> that is not what he's talking about like, like I yes. need you to talk me down I read this really good book but I need you yeah. to talk me down exactly so, I love the it, same. Would read it again though, and I kind of, and I don't mean to, kind of put it into a box, and I don't mean this in like a derogatory way. But the entire time I was reading it, it reminded me almost of like an adult Black Beauty, because you okay. follow, like a very adult, mature, <laughs> you know, well-written Black Beauty. Because you follow the storyline. Yes. I, and I it kind that. of made me feel the way I felt when I was younger and read Black Beauty, like, at that time. I don't know. Maybe that's stupid, I, but that's kind of how I felt. No, I can see that. I feel like the Black Beauty to this book pipeline is what it was intended for. <laughs> like... It was intended for people like us that yes. read Black Beauty as a child and loved it. And I do see yes. the similarities, but it's more... I, it's definitely which, more mature. Yeah, it's more dense. mature and it's more of like layered in the history of it is what yes. truly fascinated me about this. Like, yes. I've been five tabs open all day going into just, the history of things in this book. So, but no, I totally, I like that comparison. That's fair. And okay. I I almost didn't say it. I was like, no, Paige, like, don't kind of like bring it down to just that simple comparison. But that's, you I know, that was my like experience. an insult, though, because Black Beauty is one of the, that's the like creme de la creme of horse girl literature. Like, it's the gateway book for horse girls. It people. is. And I feel like, yeah, you can't. You can't be a true horse girl if you haven't read that book or at least like watch the movie if you're not a reader, but yeah. most horse girls are readers. So I do no, I don't think that's derogatory because it's a classic. Like it's it's yeah. withheld it's withstood the test of time. And I feel like this book could too, because as a lot of books we love, it spans multiple time periods, it spans centuries. And it's yeah. rooted in history, which I love. Like, I was thinking today, I was like, you know what? This is a Sydney book because it's rooted in history. It's rooted yes. in reality. It takes some fictional liberties, but it's all believable. I love it. This it's is very this believable. Is for me. <laughs> this is a Sydney. It's a Sydney approved read. That's for yes. sure. Yes. Yes. Um, 
but you know we I feel like we've been pretty open about being horse girls and mm-hmm. you know what it's taken us 78 episodes to go over a horse book so you're welcome to everybody <laughs> for taking That's that honestly time surprising but let us have our moment <laughs> yeah so yes those are our initial thoughts on this book obviously we highly recommend it it's Especially if you are a horse girl, if you aren't a reader, stick around uh, to hear our thoughts after the summary. This is Horse by Geraldine Brooks. Kentucky, 1850. An enslaved groom and a bay foal forge a bond of understanding that will carry the horse to record-setting victories across the South. When the nation erupts in civil war, an artist who has made his name on paintings of the racehorse takes up arms for the Union. One perilous night, he reunites with the stallion and his groom, very far from the glamour of any racetrack. New York City, 1954. A gallery owner celebrated for taking risks on edgy contemporary painters becomes obsessed with a 19th century equestrian oil painting of a mysterious provenance. Washington, D.C., 2019. A Smithsonian scientist from Australia and a Nigerian-American art historian find themselves unexpectedly connected through their shared interest in the horse. One studying the stallion's bones for clues to his speed and endurance, the other uncovering the lost history of the unsung black horsemen who were critical to his racing success. Inspired by the remarkable true story of the record-breaking thoroughbred Lexington, Horse is a novel of art and science, love and obsession, and our unfinished reckoning with racism. Perfect. There it is. After my many failed attempts. <laughs> Woo! There were some big words in there that I was like, this is a lot for a summary. Yeah. And I yeah. did stumble, but I was like, just go with it. Don't laugh. Don't stop. Just you were it. determined. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes. We made so it. we did, I guess, just like listeners. <laughs> This is an episode recorded in two parts. We had several technical difficulties, and here we are a week later attempting it again. So fingers crossed for some better luck tonight, but this is our official spoiler alert. This book, we are going to do definitely more of a broad overview because it is very, very dense, and we could be here for hours if we discussed all the details in this book. So this is our- I mean, you heard it. In the summer, yeah. it spans like three different centuries. So, <laughs> yes, and different storylines. So, there's a lot that goes into it. And I highly encourage you to read it if you like the episode, if you listen to it in its entirety, because there's going to be so much to discover for yourself. Definitely. So, we start out with Theo Northam. He is a Georgetown art history grad student. And he, you know, writes a little bit on the side for the Smithsonian Art Museum um, journal or magazine. And he's typing at home one day when he looks across the street and his old neighbors, his old racist neighbors um, are outside, you know, putting a bunch of free stuff outside the house because the husband of that couple had just passed away and it was just this little frail old lady on her own. So Theo, you know, takes pity on her, wants to help her. So he goes over and tries to help her move, I think like a recliner. Um, But being racist, um, Theo is black. She, you know, is kind of very wary of him, kind of gives like a grudging 
thanks and then goes inside and she's like feel free to take anything so he turns and he's kind of looking through the pile and it's that usual stuff that has been in a house for years you know just junk like old lamps old dishes you know maybe i pictured like a ratty old recliner yeah but he sees this portrait of a horse in the pile and he's intrigued it's it's like a dirty old portrait but uh, being you know an art history student he's intrigued uh, he doesn't recognize the artist um, and you know he has a past in horses he used to be a polo player so he was like you know what why the heck not like let's go ahead and pick this up off the street um, and maybe I can get somebody you know a, a friend at the Smithsonian to do a little research on this um, and he takes it takes it back to his house and that's where our story begins um on the other side of things in you know the present day storyline like we hopefully mentioned there are three storylines <laughs> in this book um jess uh is a smithsonian employee but she deals with um bones you know um articulating the skeletons discovering what happened to them how old they are just like very interesting work in my opinion if you've ever seen the show bones it's like this but for animals (laughs) it was super it that's a really cool career to me yeah but like her flashback interest as a child one made me laugh and also be like you were such a weird kid because you talk about like how she found a dead rat outside and like hid it in her room so that it could decompose and she could look at its yeah it's like that's that's a little much. Like, you have a cool yeah. job now. I get you how to, you know, everybody has interests, but that's just a little strange. <laughs> it's a little strange. It made me laugh when she said her mom cried the first day she brought home. Or, like, <laughs> she asked if they could dig up their old dog so that she could see the skeleton. And she's like, it's yeah. not because I wanted to hurt people. It's because <laughs> I loved him so much. Yeah. And I wanted to figure out, like, the science behind it. So I, that just made me giggle. Um yeah. But yes, her weird childhood fascination has blossomed into this very successful career for her at the Smithsonian. She's in charge of one of the labs there where they, you know, collect all these skeletons from around the world for the museum's collection. And she and Theo happen to bump into each other in a very awkward first encounter. Um, You know, he's cycling around you know he works at the smithsonian as well um but they both happen to have the same bike and so he's going over to unlock his bike and she comes running up to him and it's basically like hey like why are you stealing my bike and he's like that's not my bike like that's not your bike this is definitely mine and he's like see i'm like undoing the lock and you know she's doing maybe a little bit of like racial profiling here um, Jess is a, wi- a white Australian woman um, living in D.C. And Theo is all too familiar with the racism present in the country, in the world, really. Um, but he experiences it every day um, living in D.C. So that was like a very awkward, I would not call it a meet cute. Um, no. I was like, I know their story is not done, but like, this is not off to a good start. And she, you know, quickly apologizes, but like the damage is done and they go their separate ways. Yes. 
but they do have a little meet cute again later when she is tasked with trying to track down this like one exhibit that a researcher from Kentucky is coming to track down and the people in the normal Smithsonian exhibit where it's housed they can't find it so they're asking her if she knows where it is and she's trying to hunt it down because it's like the papers don't it's not where it says it is basically they're trying to figure out where this like missing exhibit number has gone to and it is the skeleton of a famous thoroughbred racehorse and So she uncovers that. It's like hidden away in an attic or something, which is just wild to me. To have all that up there. Yeah. And she was even like a little embarrassed. Yeah. She was super embarrassed when she's having to show this researcher from Kentucky who flew across the country to come look at this. And she's like, yeah, it's hidden in our attic. She's like, it's a little dusty. Also, I want to go in the Smithsonian attic. Like, how cool yeah, would that Yeah, that would be? be really cool. I was picturing, like, the Natural History Museum on steroids. You know, yes. just, like, boxes of skeletons. Yes. So she starts helping this researcher with this skeleton, and they decide to work together to try to, like, repiece it because the guy who did it the first time didn't do a good job. All of this. And so they're working in a lab, and she runs into Theo again, who has come to talk to someone about this painting. And they piece it together that the horse in the painting and the horse that Jess is working on are one and the same. And this kind of sets us on the track of learning about this particular horse. Yeah. And in Theo's painting is a young black groom. um, Because Theo is thinking about um, doing his dissertation or his master's thesis on um, the, you know, equestrian portraits and art, you know, from several hundred years ago, but focusing on the figures in the background or the figures there with the horses, like the unacknowledged, uh, you know, slaves that are in these portraits and pieces of art. So this kind of sets off his interest in that and pursuing that as his master's thesis. And we flash back in time to learn that the young boy in the picture is Jarrett Lewis, who is a young enslaved Black teenager, and none other than Lexington, one of the most famous racehorses in American racing history. In 1850, with Jarrett, and his father is like the head trainer, head groom for the plantation owner I guess the best way to put it and so Jarrett has grown up around horses helping his dad going to the races all of those things and he watches the birth of a foal and has this instant connection with it which we're both horse girls. So this book yeah. was like near and dear. This is why I was like interested in it. But as per usual, I didn't actually read what it was about. It was just recommended to me. And I was like, yeah, sounds great. But especially in this section, like the way they talk about the horse and the horses just gave me the warm fuzzies. It was so Me beautiful. too. It's what 
like the true horse lovers feel like every time they're around horses. So if you don't understand it, if you have horse girlfriends and you don't understand it, read this book and she gives you a glimpse into why the connection is so special. Yes. And instantly I love Jarrett's relationship with the horses. Like he's more comfortable around the horses. They're very comfortable around him. Like they know he's a good soul. Like they always say animals can tell like good people from bad. And, uh, you know, I am a firm believer in that. And 100% you can tell like with the horses in this story. And he takes like a more altruistic approach to them. Whereas a lot of people, and this is still true today, they just want to like beat the animal into submission or Mm -hmm. force it to do things. And you can eventually train them to do things by force, but they're just doing it like not for the, you know, not in a great way, but he really comes at it of like the understanding of the horse and learning its emotions and its natural reactions and using that to work together instead of just like browbeating this animal into doing what it wants. So very ahead of his time. And a lot of the people think that it's like kooky because it was so abnormal back then, but it gets him great success as we will see. Yeah. But this foal that's born, they give the name Darlie which I believe was after like a painter, right? I think so. Um, because Some it looked like a artist. Full... Yeah, and another artist painting. So they named it Darley, which I just think is a cute. It name. is cute. Darling Darley is what I kept thinking. I just thought that was so adorable. <laughs> um, but as we find out, it later, the name gets changed to Lexington because as we'll learn, or if you know already, racehorse names are super complex and there's a whole thing about it, but they thought the owners thought that it needed something stronger. So they changed it to Lexington. Yeah. So he, he raced as Darley and he grew up, you know, he grew up with the name Darley, but um, Jarrett and his father, like the plantation they were on, they had a relatively good relationship with the masters of the plantation and mm-hmm. you know as good as it can get in that situation you know it's a very sad situation very heavy topics were you know tackled in this book but there was definitely a sense of trust between Jarrett his father Harry and the owner um, and they actually came to an understanding that uh, Jarrett's father Harry who was a free man um, would kind of just inherit this horse, um, Darley. He was kind of like, yeah, you you did the pairing of the sire and the dam. Like, you take the foal, you race it, you know, and you can race it under my name because uh, a lot of the tracks there did not allow um, horses owned by Black people to be raced. So they raced him under the plantation owner's name and he started winning and he started getting a lot of attention. And with that attention and money, of course, is when people started raising the question of who actually owned the horse, who was racing the horse, was it legal, the way that, you know, they had this understanding, which just made me so mad. Like they were jealous of the success of this man. So they started to raise questions of the legality So in order to avoid all the legal punishments, 
a man um, who was at the race, uh, Richard Tin. Did you call him Brooke? I just called yeah, him. Yeah, I think I told him like Tin Brock or something. Yeah, anyway. yeah. Um, he he kind of like he's you know one of those sweet talking businessmen from the south, and he was like, "Well, I will save you." the legal troubles here and I will purchase the horse and take him home with me. And, you know, I have the means to race him around the country and make him the greatest racehorse that ever lived. So that's how he became Lexington. After um, Tenbrock bought him, he changed his name to Lexington as like an ode to the land where he came from. Yes. And he also which this was something I thought was so interesting and upsetting, obviously looking at it, reading back. But we'll talk how we go through the different points of view from this novel. But a lot of the older history parts are from Jarrett's point of view. And the chapter titles would change based on who had purchased Jarrett, which is just upsetting. Like it would say... um, Tinbrook's Jarrett or Warfield's Jarrett was the first owner that yeah. he's with for a while and it would just keep changing as you see the progression of he and Lexington being uh, like Lexington being sold and also Jarrett being sold along with it which was super upsetting because there was a part where Jarrett's father had like purchased his own freedom and he'd been saving up to buy Jarrett into freedom and they were going to make all these plans and then um, he ended up getting married and using his money to purchase his wife's freedom, which that just I did broke not, my heart. I hated that. Hated yeah. it so and much. Jared, like Jared, just has such a hard story, but he's so resilient. Like everything that happened to him, I was like, of anything to happen, this book, please let this man have a happy ending like and yes whatever way that looks like please let him be content you know like that was just I was so worried because things like that kept happening to him um but he stayed very loyal he stayed very true but he stayed mostly devoted to Lexington the horse you know he was afraid that they were going to take Lexington um without him um, Mr. Tinbrook. Uh, so one night he actually tried to like ride away on him and steal him away because he couldn't stand the thought of being separated from this horse, which of course would have, you know, landed him in deep, deep trouble. But um, the I think it's Warfield's granddaughter. Yes. Or daughter. I was granddaughter. Um, was able to intercept him and convince him to say be like you are going with Lexington so just to see like that deep devotion to the horse was inspiring yes he really Jarrett stayed so upbeat through a lot of things but really got the most upset like when it was something having to do with Lexington like when he thought he was being separated or when they weren't caring for him properly because at you know after he's they're both sold to Tenbrock and under the guise that Jarrett will go along and be his groom and his trainer when they actually get there like the next man underneath Tenbrock the headmaster is a really bad dude and he won't let Jarrett be the groom and he's like no you're gonna go work I think in the blacksmith or somewhere. Yeah. And just really bungles 
Lexington's whole training and care and, you know, lets him call like at one point. And so, yeah, he was like the definition of like beat the horse into submission. Yes. He's like, they need to fear you. They need to respect you because he saw like the relationship between Jarrett and Lexington and he was like you're coddling the thing like get him away like you're gonna ruin this horse like this horse is gonna be the greatest horse ever and you're ruining him and he couldn't see the relationship that Jarrett had with him was what was enabling him to be so great well and I think he at some point saw it but he was jealous and too proud to admit that his way wasn't working and Jarrett's way was what was causing the horse to have success. And he's like, well, if he can do it, then I can do it my way and we'll be just, we'll be even better. And it's like, yeah. (laughs) So he was separated for like months. Like it made me so sad, like feeling like if this was me and my horse who, you know, I'm obsessed with, I would be so sad. Um, but and Jared, that was like the one joy that he had. Like, yeah, like I said, like, well, through as long all of it, I have Lexington. Yes, he could stay upbeat because he knew he would be with his horse. And then when that yeah. was taken away, it was really upsetting. Yeah. But like you said, the trainer at um, you know, under Tenbrook let Lexington founder, and so they come. And they get Jarrett and they're basically like, we don't know what else to do with him. If you can save him, then like, that's your job. Now you're completely devoted to this horse. You have to save him on your head. Be it. If he doesn't make it, which is, Oh, it made me so angry that he made that mistake. And then was like, pawned it off on Jarrett. Which also, this makes no sense because, like, we know how it ends, obviously. We know yeah. that this becomes one of the most famous racehorses. But I was so, like, angst up about this whole scene, mostly because, like, yeah. Colic and Founder is a, is a huge fear for horse people. It's, oh, my gosh. And I was just like, me oh, up no, oh, no, oh, no, yeah. this is not going to be good. Even though, like, logically, I knew he was going to be fine. Right. But you never know, like, to what extent it's going to go. Like, right. every time I, like, see Knight laying down, I'm like, oh, cute. And then if he doesn't move, I'm like, Knight? Knight, yeah. you okay? You good? Knight, get up. You know, like, <laughs> just a little bit paranoid. <laughs> exactly. But Jarrah is able to pull him out of the Colic and Founder episode. But this is just, like, one week before he's supposed to be entered in this crazy big race and Jared's like there's no way he's going to be ready after he just went through all of this and Tenbrook won't hear of it them canceling he's like this is one of the bigger races we've got to prove this is just wild to me it was absolutely wild which like We'll get into it, but I was just like, please don't do this. Please don't do this. Yeah. And Jarrett is like, please don't do this. Please don't do this. But he is insistent that they're going to race because it's against this other horse that is, like, said to be the one of the best. And he's not going to let his pride stand in the way, as a lot of these horse people do. That's a big yeah. issue. <laughs> but the day of the race comes and Lexington, well, first Jarrett has stored up some money, and all of the odds are on this other horse because it's well known, it's a proven winner. 
no one thinks anything of this Lexington horse. Like, yeah, it looks nice. It looks fine. But they don't know, you know, it doesn't have proven success like this other horse. Right. And so the odds are really bad. The betting odds are really bad in Lexington's favor. But Jared knows that he can win, even with his founder episode. Um, So he gets a friend, an artist friend that he had met back at Warfield's plantation the place where they originally came from um there's this artist that travels around and paints racehorses thomas scott and he sees him at the racetrack and he gets him to place a bet on lexington with all of his money like going for broke on these crazy odds and he does it and lexington ends up winning i was so nervous I was so nervous, too, because I was like, okay, like, we know he can do it, but also he just had this episode, and you're putting all all your eggs in one basket, and that's never smart. Yeah, because um, I was like, I know this horse lost one race in his career. Is this it? Yeah. Like, is this the race that he lost? I was so nervous. But luckily, like, it's written pretty fast-paced, so I feel like some authors would take pages upon pages to go over this race and hers was pretty you know snappy so you you weren't in you know that gray zone for long yes and you find out that lexington wins the first race and then wins the second again just easily like blows this other horse out of the water and so this is where they really start to make a name for themselves sadly at the detriment of that other horse because Jarrett could see that it was struggling and not doing yeah. it. And the people just ran it again and it died that night, which I don't know. It just shows so sad. Yeah. The culture of it. I mean, we can like sidebar about the racing industry. In oh, general, I could go on for but, hours. Yeah. But especially back then and how it was like not at all about the horse. And no. Just so upsetting. And it it's still like, isn't. It's no, only no. about the horse if they're if they're winning, you know. Yes. And I was really just like, oh, that could have been Lexington because he really shouldn't have been racing at that point either. Right. Like- well, that's the part that like kind of invokes the Black Beauty flashback for me. Like yeah. when Ginger dies, I was yeah. just like, oh my gosh, like this is awful. It's like, you know, I'm reliving this book 20 years later. Yes. So this is kind of the race that like sets off Lexington as a winner and a remarkable horse. So after like Lexington gets kind of put onto this path of success, um, we flip back to Theo and Jess and they are working pretty closely together now trying to learn more about Lexington and the painting that Theo has found and who the person in the painting was. And then also trying to figure out about Lexington because Jess, as she's been studying this skeleton and this model um, has noticed some like conformity, like not conformities, deformities. Um, Cause this race researcher from Kentucky is trying to learn particulars about like what made this horse so successful versus Mm -hmm. others so that's what's getting them deeper look into the actual bones um 
but they noticed some issues in the skull area and they knew that Lexington, the horse was blind. So they're kind of just going on this path, trying to work together in any way to find out more about Lexington, the horse and the groom and his whole history and backstory. Um, And as they do that, they find, they start to have a little flirtation. Mm -hmm. Um, They have some like cute dates. I guess it's it's like they'll start working together and be like, oh well, let's just go grab lunch. Let's grab coffee and yeah, and they end up that. like happening to spend the whole day together. Yes, and Jess, this cracked me up too. She's so like awkward at times, and she, as we've mentioned, is like obsessed with bones, and so she'll just blurt out like, "You have really nice bone structure." <laughs> and stuff. I'm like, yes. You don't just say that to people that you just met and that you already it, have like an awkward backstory with. And she yes. will catch her. She's like, oh, I probably shouldn't be saying that. Like, I'm just a it weird person. Cracks it cracks me so up. Funny. It cracks me up because I'm not that I do that. I keep it to myself. <laughs> as somebody, you know, I studied radiologic sciences, but I worked as an x ray tech. And so, specifically, like pelvis and like the way that your hips articulate I'm like oh wow that's like you would look really weird on an x-ray <laughs> I think that <laughs> all the time and I think I told my mom when we were like with my niece at Disney World and like a couple months later she we were together again and she's like I wish you'd never told me that because that's literally all I think about now when I see Aww. people <laughs> that is hilarious <laughs> So, yeah. yes, you have the social wherewithal to just keep it. <laughs> to just mind. keep it but with it, yeah. <laughs> Jess does not, and she just blurts things out, and it gets awkward. But Theo, for his point, is like, I don't know if I'm endeared by this awkward girl or put off by her, but we're just going to see. Yeah. Um, so they have this little flirtation that starts to lead to a relationship. Yeah. But... As they are working, they find another painting in the Smithsonian that's, like, part of an exhibit um, that's another painting of Lexington done by the same painter as Theo's painting. So that's kind of uncovering more clues. Um, And it was donated by a woman named Martha Jackson, which she's kind of the third point of Mm -hmm. view in this, I guess, fourth, because Theo, Jess, Jarrett, and then her um, but she was a gallery owner in the 1950s, and she donated a bunch of art her estate did after she passed to the Smithsonian, and this picture of Lexington was one of the pieces in it. Um, so that's yeah. kind of what ties ties them all together. Which, it's just, you know, like, this was, I would say, the weakest storyline for me. Yeah. It's also the shortest. Uh, you don't read about it a lot. You know, there's some mention of, like, her relationship. Uh, like, she discovered Jackson Pollock and all that. Um, yeah, and that which... was the only... So, sidebar, this is the only thing I took out of Martha's storyline. Um, <laughs> was that she was friends with Jackson Pollock's wife. Mm-hmm. And I think she had, like, given him the car that he was off in when he died. And that's a real yeah. fact. I don't know. That's the only thing that stuck out. It is. Well, yeah. (laughs) That that whole storyline was that she knew Jackson Pollock and like gave him the car that he died in. That he ultimately died in. No, I agree. Like I felt the same way. 
But the coolest part of that little storyline for me was how all these little things tied together. And just to see, like, how different artifacts, paintings, whatever you can think of from history, kind of like the path that they take and how many different people they can touch, like, in their lives. Like, I, I don't know. I, that was really cool to me. Plus, uh, you know, Geraldine Brooks, like, ability to add that little historical tidbit in of, you know, she gave him the car. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Like, weakest storyline, <sighs> but it was just cool to see, you know, how many places it had been. That's what I loved, the whole premise of this book in general, because, like... Well, one, I was, like, Googling, obviously. I was, like, 12 times deep <laughs> in Google after reading this. But I was looking at some of the pictures and, like, the real paintings of Lexington that inspired this. But then I was just thinking about, like, I mean, even without looking at those, I could picture exactly what this painting looked like because I've seen yeah. a million similar paintings in antique stores because I love to go to yeah. antique stores. And I'm, like, I will never look at one the same again because I just am going to want to know the backstory. Like, how did it end up there? How? Yeah. It's just so cool. Where did you come from? I loved it. Yes. So, it's cool. And how Geraldine Brooks, like, was able to weave history and fiction. Yeah. She did it wonderfully. It. I'd said this in the Flawless. last record but like this is my kind of book because it's super realistic a lot of these people were really real but just some fiction thrown in I don't know I loved it it's wonderful yes um so like going back to Jess and Theo's relationship I felt a little bad for Jess because I felt like she was into it more than he was for sure um she, you know, was like, I think I'm falling for him. And he's like, yeah, I don't know if I want her around. But, like, she's nice. <laughs> yeah. And I think maybe it wasn't supposed to be that kind of, like, nonchalant on his part. It's just how it came across. But, like, he was grappling more with the fact that she was white and he was black than I think she was. Because he was so aware um, of how different they were. And she was kind of just blundering along, not thinking about that at all. Uh, because like we said, and we'll probably say it again and again, like race and racism is very tightly woven into the storyline, into all of the storylines. Um, and just seeing like this kind of cringeworthy moments of what people will say uh, when yeah. they're uncomfortable or like maybe they're subconscious prejudices that they don't even know they have until it's brought to their attention you know like it was kind of it was very awkward for me to read those those parts because you're like oh I know you didn't mean it like that but wow like wow I can't believe you just said that you know yeah so that I did feel a little bad for Jess because she was like all in and he yes. was like she's nice <laughs> it was just a weird storyline like their relationship confused me. <laughs> we'll get into I, yeah. it more. It yeah. definitely was very lopsided and like escalated so quickly. Very quickly. Very, very Which quickly. I guess we'll get into. Um, I feel like she had labeled it and he was like, this is a fling, you know? 
Um, yeah, he was kind of like, eh, this just happened. Whatever, let's go with it. And she's, like, reading all these things into it. And... Yeah. She's like, I never said I'd meet a man like this. I'm like, but, like, did you? Like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I'm glad I'm not the only one who felt that way. No, it was definitely awkward. Like, I couldn't figure out how that was going to go. Um, yeah. But Jess and Theo mm-hmm. works together to learn more about Lexington and learn more about in turn learn more about Jarrett and his um, story and kind of all of the story like the untold stories of black grooms in the racing industry um, because there were other paintings they found that also featured grooms and different people Um, so it was just so interesting it was it's told a lot, like, Jared's parts were probably my favorite just because it was so interesting, like, the whole backstory yeah. and the history of it. And they were, they were more, like, horse-centered. For sure. His parts, yeah. Yeah. Um, but we discussed um, how Jess found that, you know, deformity on Lexington's skull. And so, you know, after you read that, she's kind of like, what happened to this horse? You flash back to Jarrett and Lexington. And turns out, I was so nervous when I read that. I was like, oh, my God, if I have to read about a horse getting injured or beat or something, I cannot do this. I cannot. So I was so nervous to find out what happened to him. I Googled it. I spoiled it for myself because I was like, I can't know. (laughs) I cannot know this. I was Um, really worried it was going to be. Yeah, very traumatic. Like a beating or something? Yeah, because of that old trainer um, that he used to work with. But it turns out Jarrett has been keeping a very big secret from his owner, like Lexington's owner. And it's the fact that Lexington is going blind. Um, He had some sort of infection. His eye was starting to swell. Jarrett, you know, did cold compress. He did everything in his tower to get the swelling down and he did successfully but he could not save his eyesight so this just ugh, i hated it i was like this hits too close to home uh yeah um for sure yeah because one of my horses my horse my horse back home she's completely blind um and she's been blind for oh my goodness how many uh, almost 14 years yes a um, long time high school for, Yeah, for, you know, over half of her life. So I know that struggle and I know that pain like very intimately. But the fact that it was caused by a dental disease also hit too close to home because my other horse has dental disease. So I'm like, oh, is this what the vet meant by like a bone infection? Because I thought you just meant like around the tooth. But like now am I going to, you know, lay awake at night thinking my other horse could go blind? So not it was not good for my nerves like that's yeah. all I can when say when I read that I was literally like oh no Paige will not like this yeah no I actually like recommended this book to my mom but now I'm like oh should I give like yeah. a disclaimer uh because yeah it was a very very you know unpleasant time for us but um so we've been keeping this big secret and um the jockey that has been riding Lexington has noticed it as well. Like they, they're getting him back out to start campaigning again. Like he's run a couple other races. He's doing really well. 
but he has a big race coming up um, with one of his main rivals. I kind of pictured like that sea biscuit race. Yes. Um, so they're training him up for that because the other horse's owner is like, no, my horse is better. You know how they are. Uh, it's all about money to them. But the jockey's like, you know, you don't tell him I will. Um, but Jarrett convinces him to keep the secret from Tinbrook, uh, for now. So in that match race, sadly, Lexington does lose for the first time in his career. Um, and, you know, I think Jarrett was like, the track isn't to his liking, like, this isn't going to go well, like, he's tired. I was starting to get worried because they pushed him, like, yep. they pushed that horse, like, in the previous race. So I was getting scared that, like, something was going to happen to Lexington, um, but he lost the race and, you know, his reputation is now tarnished. So Penbrook being the proud man that he was could not accept defeat. And was like, well, we're going to, you know, we we timed the laps that they had. Now Lexington is going to race against time. And if he can beat that, then we know he's the greatest racehorse alive. Yeah. Which wasn't the stopwatch invented solely for horse racing. Yes, like that was like what, what I was say. And it brought was it around. Of Lexington. It was yeah. because of how fast he was, which I thought was such a cool tidbit. Yeah, because everyone was in it. And she does, like, sprinkle that in there. It's like everyone was buying stopwatches to bring to the race that they could time it, like, for themselves. You know, yes. like, they wanted to be a part of that history. Yes. Um, And, that like, this is when the jockey starts to notice, like, hey, you know, what's going on with Lexington. So they train him up. Um, the, Also, like, I guess we didn't even touch on this, but the format of the racing just blew me away that they used to have like what two three mile heats yeah and then they they would come back for the final that blows my mind and i love that like modern day they have like the starting gate and you're all in and you're all ready but it's like and then they just got them as close as they could in a line and then we're like okay go (laughs) well it was like sea biscuit remember like in the match race when they would like drop the rope or something and it was like I know, go but it just cracked me up that they were like once we got them settled down enough in an approximate line they dropped yeah. it and i was just like that's so different i don't know it I reminded me at the big maryland horse show which you need to come to you'd love it they had shetland pony racing and that's uh, what they did they would just get all these like seven-year-olds on ponies who are about to be bucked <laughs> off and like line them up in a row and be like go <laughs> love it yeah so, yeah, Lexington's big, famous, you know, race against time comes, and he absolutely blows the other horse's time out of the water, just not even close. Um, and, you know, Tim Brooks on top of the world. I think Jarrett's relieved, you know, that he did so well. Um, but at the end, he, Jared's like, I got it complete. I have to tell him I'm starting to get worried about this horse. So he goes and he tells Tenbrook that he's blind. And he goes, boy, like, you don't think I knew that? Yeah. He's like, I could tell. Like, I could tell what you were hiding. He's like, but one, he was greedy. He wanted the money. But he was also like, but I trusted you. Which, I don't know, surprised me. Kind of. 
but then kind of not. I don't know. It's like you can't ever pull one over on the boss, but I also didn't expect him to pay that much attention. Like, Kevin was like very, he was like very uninvolved, dude. Like, he just that's what I like, mean. Like, he comes and goes. It was so weird because whenever he's the owner uh, that just shows up to sit in the box on race day yes. and does nothing else with the horse. Well, because he's a self-made man. So he's very proud of that. So I think, yeah, he just has all these little things going and, he, you know, the people do it for him. And now yeah. he's just like the face of the operation. Yeah. I, I didn't like him. I didn't dislike him that much. I didn't feel strongly either mean. way about him. He was. Yeah. 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 But he decides to, you know, retire Lexington at the height of his career. Also because he was going blind and he sells him. Uh, so they go back to Kentucky where Lexington is going to stand stud and Jarrett goes with him. I'm like, thank God. As long as yeah. Jarrett and Lexington are together, I'm Truly. okay. I'm going to be good with it. And this part, this part made me so sad because around this time, there had been undercurrents of like war tensions, people talking about the Civil War coming, you know, uh, Confederacy, Union, all those sides going back and forth. So Jarrett goes back to Kentucky with Lexington. He is liking his life on the farm. It's a different farm. I forget which one he went to at this point. Yeah, it was like I the forget third the name. One. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he's just basically in charge of all the broodmares and the stallions on the farm. And, it, you know, he's happy with his life. He has his own apartment. He's in charge. You know, he's still enslaved. But he's like I have to be grateful like for where I'm at because I I know it could be a lot worse for other people uh, you know when he was at um, I think it was here maybe where he finds out his father died or maybe yeah. that was earlier uh, which was heartbreaking but this time made me really sad because he had started he had started to notice the girls and the women and you know kind of be interested in that side of life and one of the slaves on this um, farm as well her husband had gone to fight for the union and basically like she didn't think she would ever come back I think she got a note that he had been injured and like that was it like she didn't know the outcome but she had a child with him so Jarrett takes them in and he's basically like it's like you're gonna be with me and I'll provide for you but like she obviously did not feel anything for Jared other than gratitude, yeah. Which is something. But I'm like, but Jared deserves Still, more. Like he's so good. Like he deserves somebody who just loves him with all her heart because he's such a good person. I just yeah. love him. He was. He was such a good, a good guy. And like, and at one point, um, her husband does come back. And, you know, it's very obvious that she wants to go with him, but Jarrett doesn't even, like, fight them on it. He's just like, yeah, like, he came back for you. Like, I'm happy for you. Oh, happy day. Like, sends them with, like, two mules and, like, all these supplies. So pure. He's just like, thank you for your time and, like, the companionship you gave me. Like, I wish you all the best. And, like, sends him off, like, with money and supplies. Like, gives them a lot of what he has. Um, and not too long after that, um, some Confederate soldiers, I guess, like some very famous um, robbers come 
and tried to take they like have been known to be burning union uh sympathizing houses and farms and they come and they take all the horses from this farm um and also like you know setting fire to all the barns and crops and everything that they have but they hid lexington and some of the other horses out they shipped them out right because they shipped them to illinois to hide them out so they had plans to do that but they had never like been able to you know act on those plans yet um so they took all the horses except lexington because Jarrett, you know started becoming aware of what was happening so he snuck into his stall and snuck him out of the barn and then followed them when they took all the horses because they also had mr scott the artist that did the painting of lexington as a full and who kind of came in and out of the story he was staying there as a union soldier kind of like on leave um so they captured him and took i think like 10 of the finest horses from the farm so Jarrett goes and rescues mr scott and takes all the horses back and that's when he like ponies them all to illinois um which it's so crazy to think of like all of the happenstance that led to lexington surviving to be a great like sire for all of these resources i don't know it's just crazy to think about all of the things that could have gone wrong and did go wrong like him being blind all yeah. you know, cut his career short, all of these different things, but yeah, he still survived and went on to have this legacy. Yeah. Because he was one of the most successful, you know, studs in thoroughbred history. And I yeah. keep meaning to like get Knight's papers out to see if he has any I like to do that lineage. Um, I wanted to go find Flint and like go way far back and see yeah. if there was anything. Probably not because he was a horrible racehorse, but oh, and night was terrible. I need to look at his lip tattoo, and then you can look it up on like the jockey yeah. website. Um, wouldn't that be cool? We'll have to do a post about that. If, that would be cool if we do find anything. Um, so he successfully makes it to Illinois with the horses, and he's in charge of the farm there. Um, I think, you know, he stays there running the breeding operation like he did in Kentucky um, until Lexington's eventual death. I think he just died from old age, you know, like um, Jarrett was there until the very end with him, which was uh, and like it makes me so sad to think about it but to know like the journey and the relationship that they were able to have together makes you happy it's Um, cool to think that he was full circle because a lot of people yeah obviously you and i weren't there when our horses were born right so it's cool yeah i bought night when he, he was 10 yeah it's cool to think that he was there that whole time and like they had that strong such that strong bond yeah but it was very sad So Lexington passes away and that's really all that had been keeping Jarrett here uh, was this horse. So he uh, like buys his freedom and he had been doing business up in Canada for uh, the farm owners 
and I think eventually buys his freedom and moves to Canada, makes it his permanent home. And then he meets a woman there. Yes. Another, you know, freed a woman who left for Canada and she actually loves him <laughs> and treats him well. And this just made me so happy that he like goes and he makes a name for himself and he makes a life for himself where he's happy and yes. he's very successful. Um, because like the last time you see Jared, I think it's in like New York mm-hmm. and he's out there as a free man he has like a very nice suit on he has a timepiece he has like a top hat like he's looking very suave he's definitely made it yeah he's he's made it and um what does he go and buy doesn't he go oh, buy the, he, yeah he buys a painting of lexington he buys a painting of lexington from yes because he like scott had done that the artist had done yes because and it was the like missing there was like we see through Theo and Jess that there was all this catalog of like all of Thomas Scott's work. And, you know, there were so many supposed to be so many of these portraits of Lexington, but there was uh-huh. one that would never, was never accounted for in the research. Yeah. And then we find out later that it was that Jarrett had bought it um, for himself, which I just thought was so great. Yeah. Another power move. I love yeah. it. Which I don't know that Theo and Jess ever found that out, but like we reviewed, we But we it. did. Yeah. yeah. That's what, that's what matters. Yes. Um, so that's, you know, that's where we leave Jared. You know, he's a made man. He is very successful and he's very happy with his life up in Canada with his wife and children. Yes. Um, and, you know, he still works in horses up there. You know, he's still around horses every day. So it just made me so happy. It was. To, like, it to was see so him good. happy. Um, it was and then, all the ways that it could have gone. Like, I was nervous yes. the whole time because you get so invested in these characters and you don't know what's yes. going to happen. Um, so it was good to see him have, like, a happy ending. Yes. I, I could not agree more. Um, but then now, we flip back to Jess and Theo. Yes. And... Jess has been working on Lexington's skeleton and trying to, like, re-articulate it and make it even more realistic to how it was. Because, like we said, the first guy didn't do a great job. Um, And so she's getting all that done, and they end up loaning it out to the American Museum of the Horse in Lexington, which is where this researcher came from. And through all of their research, Theo discovers that this painting that he has is one of the works of Thomas Scott and it is extremely valuable mm-hmm. and Theo being the good guy that he is he's like well you know my neighbor just put this out as his junk she doesn't realize that it's worth it's worth like $15,000 I'm gonna yeah. give it back to her Wild. because she's an old lady you know her husband just died she's probably on hard times I'm gonna mm-hmm. give this back to her so that's kind of their plan Theo and Jess are, like, spending the night together at this point in this relationship, whatever you want to call it. Situationship. Yeah, situationship. And they're together, and Theo is going to go out on a run, as he does, like he's done multiple times throughout the course of this novel. And Jess is just hanging out at his apartment waiting for him to come back when 
the cops show up and tell her, or they call her, I guess, um, and tell her that Theo has been killed mm-hmm. by police because he was trying to rob someone. And she's like, there's no way that he was yeah. trying to rob or assault someone. Like, that's not possible. And they're like, well, like that it was an off Theo. Yeah, they're like, well, it was an officer-involved shooting, and he saw, the officer saw this guy trying to rob someone, and he thought he pulled a gun, so he shot him. Which, Jess, just like we said, doesn't, you know, can't grapple with, because she's like, Theo was just going out on the run. Um, which we come to find out that he was on a run, and he was, he stopped to help someone who was like injured on the trail and i guess she was unconscious yes and so someone else at some point had like called it in and so he's trying over there trying to help her when the cops show up and just act before thinking and he like had his phone in his hand and, yeah. like, when the officer, like, yelled out at him, he, like, turned around with his phone, like, up. And, like, raised his hands up. But yeah. they and thought it was a gun. Shot him. Yeah. And they make comments yeah. of, like, how it was cold or it was raining that day, so he didn't wear the normal running shirt that he always wears that's, like, a college shirt, you know. Yeah. He was wearing his black They're, like, jacket wearing all that, black. And... That Jess told him to wear because it was raining. And so it's just heartbreaking. And so now Jess is like, what the heck am I going to do? Like, and he had taken Clancy, his dog, with him. Um, yeah. And so they Jess, found it and he was like, wouldn't leave his side. Yes. Oh, that was horrible. And then Jess has to go identify the body because. Oh, my God. His mom, Theo's dad is dead. His mom is, like, in another country because she's, like, a UN ambassador or something. Um, Something in politics, working in another country. He's an only Mm -hmm. child. And the cops found Jess's number as, like, in his phone, recently contact or whatever. So she has to go ID the body and she gets Clancy back. And as she's talking to some of Theo's friends that come by to help, she's like, well, can I take him? Like, can I take the dog? And they're like, yeah, that'd be great. We weren't sure what we were going to do with him. Um, yeah. But she was also, like, expressing disbelief. She's like, I can't believe this happened. And they're like, what do you mean? Like, it happens every day. Yeah. Like, this was, like, the, you know. when It the, just, when like, hammers home. really came. Yeah. The different realities that they lived in. Like, Jess was in complete disbelief that this happened. And Theo's friend was like this is something we live in fear of every day. Like he knew better than to do this. He knew that he shouldn't have, you know, like we're trained to not run after dark and not like always be distrustful of people because of things like this. Um, But Jess decides that she is going to go back to Australia after this. And she's going to take Clancy um, and, the, the friend that's at Theo's apartment is like, well, if there's anything you want to take, like, let me know. And we're going to start going through all this stuff. And she decides to take the painting of Lexington and kind of carry out Theo's last wish 
and give mm-hmm. it to the neighbor because that was the last kind of conversation that they had was where he said, I'm going to give this painting back to the neighbor so that they can sell it or do whatever. Um, so she takes it over there and the neighbor is just, you know, gruff and angry as she usually is. Yeah. Um, and that's when she, the neighbor realizes that Theo was the one that was killed. Cause of course this has made news headlines. Um, But this was one, like, I thought was really nice. So Jess tells the neighbor, like, he wanted you to have this. It's worth a lot of money. Do whatever whatever you want with it. And um, the neighbor ends up selling the painting back to the Museum of the Horse as part of the Lexington, the horse exhibit. With one request that it have a plaque that said, like, in honor of... Theo Northam. Yeah. Which oh, I'm that, getting teary eyed. I know. Like <laughs> I'm just that thinking got me. about that it. was so sweet. Yeah. Um, and so it kind of comes full circle in that aspect of Theo was able to like get the credit for this project that he worked so hard on. Um, and then the novel ends with Jess getting on a plane back to Australia with Clancy. Um and she has this dream about, like, horses in Lexington, the horse. In Lexington, yeah. It's so, it's <clears throat> such a good ending. It's such a sad, sad ending. I did not yeah. think Theo and Jess would end that way. Um, no, this is not what I saw coming. Well, I kept texting but... you. I was like, this book is depressing. First of all, because, you know, when you're in Jarrett's point of view, you see how he's treated. You see how he's talked to. And that's just incredibly sad. But then to see the Theo side, I was like, Sydney, what, well, that's what, what are we I, reading? When you were texting me that, I was like, okay, something's going to happen to Jarrett or something's going to happen to Lexington. Like, that's where I thought you yeah. were going with it. Not, I never thought it would be something with Theo. So yeah. That was heartbreaking for sure. But. But yeah, that is our very, very broad overview of this incredible book yes it's so good especially if you love horses if you love history it's just it's just really well done and it makes me want to read other books by Geraldine Brooks because yes I just loved this style and it makes me want to deep dive more and like I like I said I was 12 tabs deep in in Google like learning about all of these people learning about the paintings she has yeah. a really great author's note at the end, which you know I love an author's <laughs> we, note. We all know. <laughs> so I enjoyed that just as much as the book. And I was like, I need to learn the backstory of every single one of these people. So it was super interesting. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah. Uh, she wrote another one called March. That yes. um, is, yeah, based on Louisa May Alcott. So I was like, oh my gosh, I want to read it's that one. Like, That's the one she won a lot of prizes for. It's like Little Women, but from the dad's point of view. Yeah. yeah I would love, is, love, oh, love to read that because I yeah, love be Little so Women. Good. So yeah. good. Also, I don't know if you can hear my little clickety clacketing in the background. <laughs> I've been looking at oh. my horse's pedigree because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I have to know because we talked about this previously like oh I wonder if our horse is so I've been looking it up and Knight is for all his very you know 
little success, actually zero success on the racetrack. <laughs> he is very, very distantly related to Lexington. That's awesome. I'm going to have to look up Flint. Yeah. Too. That's I'm sure so cool. Flint is too. If he has Secretariat in him, then. then yeah, he... then he does. That's so cool. Yeah. I know. Sometimes I like go out and I see like my little long-haired fluffy boy and I'm like you're really related to him really? uh yeah my horse that is looks more like a quarter horse than a thoroughbred and I'm like I actually you, you? yeah I had somebody come out the other day and they were you know they you know had several horses online but they were, she was like all right what's his breed is it a thoroughbred she goes oh what a yeah. quarter horse but I never actually get that people actually guess that he's a thoroughbred Oh, no one thinks that Flint is. Literally, when I well, say... Well, it's his head, you know. Red, and they're like, yeah? And I'm like, yeah, but he looks more like a quarter horse. And I'm like, yeah, he does. I was like, yeah. Because he's short. <laughs> yeah, well, Knight's short, but Knight has, like, a very thoroughbred head. You know? Like, yeah. his face is very thoroughbred. No, Flint has none of it. But, <laughs> all right, it turned but out... But he's a cutie. He's yeah, a cutie. Yeah, it works. They both are. Um, so. now we can just talk about our horses forever. <laughs> <laughs> that could be a whole other podcast on its own. Oh, yeah. Don't get us started. We kept this one nice and succinct, I think. I am proud of us. Truly, um, because it is so dense. So dense. So dense. So I feel like we hit the highlights. Uh, yeah. Hopefully we have intrigued some of you enough to go pick up a copy from your local library or your local bookshop. Um, it would make a great Christmas gift since, uh-huh. you know, we're getting close to that season. If you know a big uh, reader in your family, animal person, history lover, all of the above, it would be a great, great read for them. Yes. And it's a good transition into our fall November books because we've moving out of spooky season. We've got a whole different lineup, um, but this was definitely Very different. a good one. Because it like we yes. gave us for being sad, it also gave like the cozy feeling just because we're horse girls. At least it did for me. Like, yeah, I, like, I just want to go out and see my horse now. I, I know, I know. <laughs> I definitely want to, which I will be seeing a lot of him in the next month as he recovers. So yeah, can't keep me away. Nope. So those are our thoughts on horse. We hope that you all liked it. We hope you liked listening to this episode. Um, As always, be sure to follow and subscribe on whatever platform you listen on so that you get the episodes downloaded straight to your device. You can find us on Instagram at Life and Lit Pod. It's where we post all of our book content and what books we are going to be releasing on the podcast and just other general good bookstagram stuff. And if you have any suggestions on what we should read or cover, you can send us an email at lifeandlitpod at gmail.com. And we've got two more good books for November that I'm super excited about. Um, One of them very timely adaptation. So I'm excited to talk about that one and do a little compare and contrast. But until next time, happy reading. Happy reading. Mm -hmm.